भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टवागु सस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदा स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति नूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्षो अरिष्टने स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शाशाशाते Now please chant the seventh mantra after me Nanta pragyam na bahish pragyam Nanta pragyam na bahish pragyam No bhayata pragyam na pragyana ghanam No bhayata pragyam na pragyana ghanam Na pragyam na pragyam Adrishtam abhyavaharyam अग्राह्यम अलक्षण अचिंत्यम अद्यपदेश्यम प्रत्ययसारम प्रपंचोपशम शात शिवम्द्वैत चतुर्थम मनते स आत्मा स विज्ञेय वॉट दंडुक्य उपनिषद इज टीचिंग असेज दि अल्टिमेट रियालिटी इज टू बी नोन बाय नोइंग योर सेल्फ अयम आत्मा ब्रह्म दि अल्टिमेट रियालिटी ऑफ द यूनिवर्स ब्राह्मण is i am atma this self how shall we know this self then what is the way the way is the upanishad said the self has four aspects look at it this way the self has four aspects what are the four aspects three of them are well known to us and those were pointed out you have you experience yourself as the waker with your waking world you experience yourself as the dreamer with your dream world and as the sleeper with the merged world of deep sleep these are well known to us by an analysis of these three the fourth one is discovered the reality which the upanishad wants to teach us that reality is mentioned that is called the turiyam that is mentioned in the seventh mantra what is this uh, great thing which the upanishad wants to reveal to us what is this reality knowing which you know the the, the reality of the entire universe the secret of all existence it is not the externalized consciousness of the waker it is not the internalized uh, consciousness of the dreamer it is uh, not something intermediate some other state of uh, awareness it is not deep sleep the consciousness merged in deep sleep um uh, it is not uh, the the awareness of god who knows everything at one one uh, grasp uh, not that it's not omniscience it is not unconsciousness either 
it is not something that can be um, an object of the senses, adrishtam. It is not something that can be grasped by the motor organs. That means you cannot walk to it, get hold of it, or uh, it is not something that can be transacted with, used. Uh, not something that has worldly utility. Though all the utility of the universe is based upon it. Without it, nothing works. Um, it is not something that can be inferred uh, in a scientific way. It cannot be inferred that way. It is not something that can be thought of, conceived by the mind. It is what illumines the mind, but the mind cannot objectify it. It is therefore not something that can be named. You cannot use language to express it, except indirectly, of course. Um, it is the, the one reality revealed by the cognition of the eye cognition, the continuous eye sense which we have in the waking, in the dream, and which we look back, in one sense we have it in deep sleep also, not during deep sleep, but when we look back upon deep sleep, because we say, I slept. So this continuous eye cognition, that points to, that points to, the, the reality of that eye cognition is the thurium, that uh, the fourth. It is the quiescence or the peace or the, or the, the disappearance of the entire universe, prapanchopashamam. There is no universe in it. There is no waking universe in it, no deep sleep universe, no um, dream universe in it, no seed of the universe, deep sleep uh, universe in it. It is therefore auspicious, shantam, peaceful, um, beyond sorrow. There is no sorrow in it, no possibility of sorrow also. You see, there is sorrow in waking. There is sorrow in dream also. And there is a possibility of sorrow in deep sleep because that is the source from which everything else comes out. But here there is neither sorrow nor possibility of it. Um, it is bliss itself, Shivam. And it is non-dual. The other three, waking, dreaming and deep sleep, are not apart from it. Just as the example of the, of the ornaments. The golden bangle, the golden necklace and the golden ring are not apart from the gold. With respect to the ornaments, the gold is non-dual, without a second. No ornament is a second thing apart from the gold. So it's in the same way, this turium is non-dual because there's nothing in the universe apart from it. And therefore, if you know this turium, then you know the secret of this entire universe because nothing in the universe is apart from it. If you know... Of course, know in, in which sense. If you know gold, you know that every ornament made of gold is gold. You will not know the differences in the ornaments. You know, that depends on the ingenuity of the, the craftsman. So Maya can produce many forms which an enlightened person may not know, but the, the enlightened person will know all of that I am, the pure consciousness appearing in this form. So Advaitam, non-dual. Chaturtham Manyante, it is said to be the fourth. Said to be the fourth by whom? Those who can consider those first three to be real. With respect to those three, it is the fourth. But actually, as we have seen, it is the one. Saatma, that's you. After all of this tremendous descriptions, we might think some airy abstraction, speculation. No, 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 no speculation, no abstraction. Advaita, when properly understood, it's not religion. You might see it as a religion, but as the philosophy of Hinduism, 
but it's actually not religion. It's quite different from religion. It's not even uh, a philosophical system of thought. I know Advaita is considered to be one of the six philosophies of Orthodox Hinduism. But when you understand it properly, it's not a system of thought. It's not a system of metaphysics and conceptions. It's just pointing to the truth behind everything else. If you think about it and if you try to understand it, it seems to be a nice philosophy. When you begin to get it, it's not philosophy at all. No more than saying that I'm awake now, I'm the waker, here, here I am. Is this philosophy or is it just the truth? This seems to be the truth to me. When we understand Advaita, the Turiyam will seem to be the truth in that sense. It's just pointing out the reality in its most bare, um, stripped down, essential nature. The f uh, that is Atma, that's you. So, what do we do? That has to be realized. The whole point is to realize that. What is Advaita trying to do? We are suffering. See, ultimately from the point of Turiya, from the ultimate reality, nothing needs to be done. And yet from our point of view right now, something needs to be done because we are in trouble, we are suffering. That's why we are, um, we are trying out religion and uh, philosophy and so on and so forth, many, many things. So Advaita is a solution to that. And the solution is, it has to be realized that I am that Turiyam. Instead of I am this waker, I am that Turiyam, I am that. Alright, so this is the teaching, the central teaching of which the rest of the text, what has happened before this has been leading up to this and what will happen after this till the very end, all the chapters of Gaudapada's verses coming after this, they are all uh, expansion upon this. I mentioned that the second chapter is a, just an explanation of one word here, prapanchopashamam, the silence of the universe. <laughs> the, actually, the mean, it means the falsity of the universe. So that has been dealt with in one whole chapter. Advaitam, non-duality, that has been dealt with in the third chapter. The entire third chapter is based on this. And the fourth chapter which will come is, it's more philosophical in nature. It deals with other systems of thought vis-a-vis uh, non-duality, vis-a-vis Advaita. So all of this which will come now on is all about the seventh mantra. Now we had started the karikas, Gaudapada karikas, um, next time, I mean last time. So let's go into that now. At this point you would expect Gaudapada to stop before going on to, remember, remember the Upanishad is not yet over. There are 12 mantras in the Upanishad, this is just the seventh. But from now on, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Upanishad will take up what it had promised at the beginning, Om, analysis of Om. To prove what? To prove the very same thing. Om will be put forth as a support for this realization, as an aid to this process. But the main teaching is over. Now, Gaudapada uh, composes some verses to, to <coughs> examine what, what did we get. Let's see. First he talks about Turiyam. This we had done last time. Tenth verse. Please repeat after me. Nivritte sarva dukhanam Nivritte sarva dukhanam Ishanaf prabhuravyaya Ishanaf prabhuravyaya Advaita sarva bhavanam Advaita sarva bhavanam Devasturiyo vibhusmritaha 
देवस्तुर्यो विभुस्मृता दिस तुरिया इज हेल्ड टू बी स्मृता मीन्स हेल्ड टू बी इज प्रोक्लेम टू बी सर्टन कंक्लूजन्स आर ड्रॉन अबाउट इट विल सी वन आफ्टर अनदर निवृत्ते सर्वदुखानाम इट इज द सेसेशन ऑफ ऑल सॉरोज सो सर्वदुख ऑल सॉरोज मीन्स वी टॉक्ट अबाउट दिस लास्ट टाइम sorrows are of three types um we, we one way of classifying sorrows you can classify in many ways but one way of classifying sorrows in classical sanskrit philosophy has been the adhyatmika adhidaivika and adibhautika which means the sorrow which uh, arises in one's own body and mind so physical illness mental problems anxiety all of all kinds of problems which arise in body and mind that's one kind of sorrow the other kind is adi bhautika sorrows coming from others so they would typically speak of the sorrows which arise from the mosquito and the tiger you know so neither mosquito and tiger here but you can talk about the annoying neighbor or um, that particular annoying person you meet at office or somebody like that and so on so the sorrows ar- arising out of other people uh, or other beings other living beings uh then adi adi daivika natural sorrows the sorrows arising out of earthquakes and storms and um and so on um, natural disasters or famine or whatever so all those sorrows are three kinds of sorrows if you think if you think a little bit about it you might object here ultimately to feel a sorrow doesn't it ultimately have to come down to my body and mind and even more specifically the mind right so even the natural sorrow out there like an earthquake i feel it because i get hurt physically or mentally when i think about those poor people suffering in the earthquake so i have a sorrow here so ultimately it all sorrow boils down to what affects your body and mind that's true but in a general sense it's been classified into these three heads these are all kinds of sorrows sarva dukhana we had analyzed it last time i think that all worldly ways of dealing with these sorrows they can they do have their effect but it's a bandaid effect that uh, it can deal with one sorrow at a time and even if even if you solve one problem it comes back or it comes back in other forms or there is no guarantee to a solution that the medicine will actually work or if i do get that job or that relationship i will actually be happy not necessary in most cases it's not true uh, we see robert right here he um points to what is called the um hedonistic trap which is things in the world promise to be much more pleasing than they actually are whatever the delicious brownie which is there in in the shop when you take it and it promises you a lot of happiness and you eat it you do get happiness but usually little less than what you thought you would get we expect much more happiness from our endeavors than we actually get when we do that it could be the brownie or it could be a relationship it could be money achievement whatever it is ultimately the amount of happiness we get from it or the what we expect that it will last it will really give me peace and satisfaction doesn't happen hasn't happened to anybody so these are the problems with the worldly ways of solving happy, um sorrows 
Whereas he says the spiritual solution and more precisely here the Advaitic insight that I am Turiyam, I am Brahman, this knowledge, this realization leads to the cessation of all sorrows. Because it leads to the cessation of all sorrows, Turiya is called Ishana, the Lord. So here the Lord is used in a particular sense, not as God. Ishana means because the realization of this Turiya can remove all my sorrows. And the second thing is, the Ishana, the word Lord has another meaning, Prabhu, a simpler meaning, which is a typical word used for the Lord in all Indian languages. But here it does not mean God. It means that reality about ourselves which we realize, it solves all your problems forever. Avyayaha, unchanging. This Turiyam in, in contrast to everything else is unchanging. Our nature as what we see ourselves as right now is subject to, again is classical Sanskrit philosophy speaks of six kind of changes which we are subject to. Um, asti, um, no, jayate, asti, vardhate, viparinamate, apakshiyate, nashyati. What does it mean? The sixfold changes, we are born. Being born, we come into a kind of existence. Being born, the transition itself is being, and then coming into existence as an individual. Then um, growth, development. Then um, maturity and changing, you reach a peak. It's all talking about physical changes and associated mental changes. And then deterioration, old age, slowly it begins to deteriorate. And then death. So these are the six changes, they call it Shadavikara, six-fold changes associated with the body. And we are all subject to this because we are most, most strongly associated with, identified with our bodies. So we talk about, for example, my birth, birth of the body, my birth. <coughs> Being born, I come into an individual existence, Asti. Then develop, baby and then child and then teenager and the young person, so develop. Um, vardhate, grows. Viparinamate, maturity. So, a, a middle-aged person, man or woman, at the peak of one's own powers. And most people don't realize it does not get better. From there onwards, it's, you, you can manage it. You can manage it through yoga and gluten-free and things like that. But it's still managing it. You can't stop it. So, because it's natural to the body, it's very natural to the body, viparinamate, uh, it, it uh, changes and then apakshiyate, it begins to deteriorate over a period which we call old age and associated problems and then finally the body perishes, goes back to the five elements, it's destroyed. Of course, the individual sentient being, the jiva, it goes on to other worlds, that's what we believe, but abhyayaha, the Turiya is not subject to change. It, it, it is not subject to the sixfold change. Any other kind of change also? The waker falls asleep. The dreamer, no matter how nice your dream, you're bound to wake up or go into deep sleep. So those changes also Turiya is not subject to. Advaita Sarvabhavanam. Advaita non-dual. But Sarvabhavanam. In the midst of all duality, it is non-dual. This is the amazing thing about it. 
there is a kind of non-duality in deep sleep. Remember, examine your experience of deep sleep. No difference between knower and known. It's just a mass of blankness. What is the experience of deep sleep when you wake up and look back upon it? A mass of blankness, undifferentiated blankness, darkness. That's what deep sleep is. It's a kind of non-duality, no duality there. But that's not what is meant here. In the midst of all dualities, in the midst of waking, dreaming and deep sleep, in the midst of the millions of individuals, in the midst of so many experiences throughout our life, yeah. it is non-dual. How so? Like, in the midst of the 10,000 waves in the Atlantic Ocean out there, isn't the water non-dual? Do you get what I mean? Is, is there water plus 10,000 waves? No. It is the water alone which appears as the 10,000 waves. It is not water plus one thing more, nothing more. Water and not a second thing up apart from water. Though there be 10,000 waves continuously coming up and going, subsiding, it's still just one mass of water. It's one consciousness in which waking, dreaming and deep sleep and all the experiences of waking, all the experiences of dreaming and all the non-experience or the blankness, uniform blankness experience of deep sleep, all of that comes and goes non-dually with respect to Turiyam. Turiyam in the midst of variety is non-dual. That's the thing. That's what enables Turiyam to be so important that here itself, when you are experiencing duality, you are free of duality because you are the non-dual reality. So, Advaita Sarva Bhavanam Devaha Further, this Turiya is self-effulgent. It is self-revealed. And say, what do you mean self-revealed? I don't see it. You are, but you, you, don't, you don't recognize it. It's like, suppose um, Stan is here and you don't know who Stan is. So you're looking at Stan and you don't know who Stan is. When I introduce you to Stan, you say, oh, okay, that's Stan. Now, when, you, when, I, when you're introduced to Stan, are you seeing somebody new? Is it a new experience you're having or a new knowledge? It's a new knowledge. It's a new recognition. You might put it that way. Okay, now I know. I'm not seeing anybody new. It's, I'm seeing just the same person I was seeing earlier, only I did not know it was Stan. Exactly like that. Turiyam is being experienced right now. You are experiencing Turiyam right now as, as you the waker and your waking world. That's what Turiyam is right now for you. So, but the Turiyam nature of this waker and waking world is not being experienced. It's like looking at the wave and not recognizing the water. It's like looking at so many ornaments and not recognizing that they are all gold. When you look at the golden ornaments, are you not seeing the gold? When I touch the wooden platform, I say I'm touching the platform. But am I not touching the wood also? Yes. We say touch wood. So, when you are experiencing this world, the mundane world, you are experiencing Turiyam. If you experience, go to heaven and experience heaven. Wonderful. Advaita has no objections. Only that it will say it's Turiyam. Yeah. If even if you experience God, it's nothing other than Turiyam. And it's the same Turiyam which is right here. This difference is samsara. One great teacher of Advaita put it this way. If you want to escape sorrow, then 
make a practice of seeing that the same thing is there in Samadhi and Sushupti. In the deepest sleep and in the highest spiritual ecstasy. It's the same thing. In the highest heaven and in the lowest hell. It's the same thing. I'm not saying there's no difference. There's enormous differences. But there is, see, in every situation we experience, there is something, one underlying reality and lots of differences. So you're waking and dreaming, for example, have what lots of differences. But what's the un underlying reality? You. You are the one who is awake. You are the one who is dreaming. What Vedanta says is, look to that underlying reality. That's important. The differences are not important. If you get caught in the differences, you are in samsara. In the highest heaven, you are in samsara. In the lowest hell, of course, you are in samsara. In the highest heaven and in the lowest hell, it's the same reality. In pleasure and in pain, in misery and in joy, it's the same reality. In the mundane world and in the greatest of spiritual, in the retreat ashram and the retreat in Vedanta society, same reality. But you must notice it. It does not seem at all to be the same reality because we don't notice the same reality, we look to the differences. The differences are appearances. They mislead us. If the differences were real, then this teaching would have no meaning because the real differences would persist anyway and they would trouble us. But if the differences are not real and that underlying reality is the only reality, then we, it would, we would better make it our business to notice that reality. The funny story of the great sage Shukadeva who came to visit Shiva, the great god Shiva. And he walks in. He does not bow down to Shiva. Shiva, how, how are things? You know? How's your day? He's very American that way. And, and, and what's up? Yeah, what's up? No, not even what's up. They'll say, what's up? And, and Shiva goes, hey, how are you? And they, they, they talk to each other. But the Divine Mother, Gauri, Parvati, she's annoyed. She frowns and sort of, sort of looks at uh, Shukadeva until Shukadeva leaves. And must have said so long and, and see you around. And then <laughs> leaves it after the discussion. Maybe they have discussing Vedanta. And then she goes and tells Shiva, that was not nice. He did not bow down to you. I think being a great sage has made him arrogant. That boy is arrogant. He walks around, I heard this story in Hindi actually, uh, from a monk in the Himalayas. No, in, in, he, he wrote, wrote it. I didn't hear it directly. He wrote in a book in Hindi. He walks like a camel with his nose in the air. He didn't even bow down to you. You are Shiva, the great God. And Shiva said, no, he's an innocent boy. You know, he doesn't think about these, um, you know, you have to bow down and uh, he's innocent. The Divine Mother said, no, he should learn his lesson. Um, Shiva said, all right. And the Divine Mother said, we have to bring him around, you know, to, for his own good, teach him a lesson. So she appears before the sage and says, uh, be thou a camel in the desert. And the sage is transformed into a camel in the desert. Because the Divine Mother is in charge of Maya, this world, samsara, all differences. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep, all under the power of the Divine Mother. Now a few days pass and the Divine Mother, being a mother of course, she feels uneasy because she doesn't want her child to suffer. After all, Shuka is her child too. So she thinks that, I wonder how he's doing, whether he's learned his lesson or not. And um, 
Shiva, of course, knows that she'll come around in, in time. So she, he says, why don't you go and take a look? And she says, my thoughts exactly. I'll, I'll go and take a look. And she was smiles. She, he knows that uh, it'll be all right in the end. So she goes and she sees this camel chewing um, thorny bushes in the desert. And she comes, appears before the camel and she says, well, O oh great sage, uh, how are things? You know, sup? Hmm? <laughs> Not so cheery now, are, are we? Uh, and the camel, of course, can speak, presumably in Sanskrit. And, and the camel says, ah, divine mother, um, things are wonderful. Things are wonderful. In fact, they're better now because, you see, uh, earlier I had this ashram to maintain, you know, Vedanta society to look after. And, and uh, I had so many duties. There were prayers to conduct. And there were these silly brahmacharis, you know, the, the novices. I had to teach them. And all these problems were there. Uh, in an ashram, there are the, the, the brahmacharis, the, the ones who study. And so all these things were there. But now I'm free of all the responsibilities. And the language is a little crude there. <laughs> so he says, I go wherever I want. I eat whatever is available. I, I can pee wherever I want. That's a very big advantage. <laughs> the Divine Mother sees this. It, it had no effect. It's just the opposite effect. And she says, oh, all right, you go back to <laughs> being what you were earlier. And so he becomes a sage and says, okay, no problem. Uh, because he, this, it's a story. But the idea is, the, the attention, the realization is, I'm the one existence awareness. Bliss, sat, chit, ananda. No matter where I am, how I am. Whatever the conditions of life. Whatever the form, whatever my uh, environment, I have the same reality everywhere. And the attention is there, not on the uh, differences which have come. You see, I heard, read somewhere a very beautiful saying. When people ask you, when have you been the happiest? You'd say, now. A really mature person would say, you know, in my, all my life, when have I been the happiest? Right now. Whatever is the present, this is the best, best thing. Where have you been the happiest? Here. With whom? With the people I am with now. That person is truly happy. There was a story like that. It's a long story, but the substance of that is, somebody goes to a sage and asks, what is the best time, what is the best place, and who are the most important people? And the teaching was finally, that the present time is the best time. And wherever you are, that is the best place. And the people you are with, those are the most important people in your life. So, that person is, is the happiest. Devaha, it, it shines forth continuously. It has to be recognized. And this Turiya is Vibhu. It is held to be Vibhu. Vibhu means all-pervading. Remember, why this is said is, we, we are subtly led into a trap, just as I am one individual apart from all of you, in the same way, then when I'm this pure consciousness, I'm still apart from all of you. But I am a pure consciousness. I am something, this wonderful thing called Turiya, but... No. This Turiya, this pure consciousness is all-pervading. It's not apart from anybody else. Or others are not apart from it. All beings in me, I in all beings. Sarvabhutasthamatmanam, sarvabhutani chatmani. Myself in all beings and all beings in myself. 
This is the realization. So this is Turiya. These are the remarks he makes about Turiya in the 10th Karika. Now, the next four Karikas, 11 to 14, before we go into that, what he does is, he does a study. When you compare the waker, dreamer, deep sleeper, then you come to the understanding about Turiya. So that comparison, the contrasting, the similarities and dissimilarities, that he puts together uh, and presents to us in the form of four verses. So before we study those verses, let me just introduce you to what he's going to say. We know all this. This is what we studied all these weeks, all these classes. But he's putting it together for us. He's presenting it to us in the form of, today he would draw a matrix. So I'll draw the matrix for him. He has drawn it in the, in the verse form. I'll do it, do it here. See, all this has to do with ignorance and error. Ignorance and error. Ignorance in Vedanta, in Sanskrit is avidya or ajnana. Ignorance and error. Ajnana and error is adhyasa or brahma, mistake. First of all, let's take the classic example of the snake and the rope. It is only because we are ignorant of the reality, which is the reality, the rope. Then we make the mistake of thinking of it as a snake. So, ignorance of the rope leads to the error that it's a snake. It's not a snake. Never was, even before we saw it. Even when we are seeing it and when it finally, the, the error goes away after knowledge. The snake never was. But we see it because we are making an error and that error stems from an ignorance of the reality. So the source of the snake is not that the snake was born of an egg or something. This, that snake, the snake which we see in error was born of ignorance. So all error at the root of all error is ignorance. Okay, with that in mind, let's see what he does. The four aspects of the self, the waker, in Sanskrit, Vishwa, the dreamer, in Sanskrit, Taijasa, tell me, Taijasa, and the deep, the sleeper, in Sanskrit, Pragya, or Pragya, and Turiyam, the fourth. Now what he says is, in the next four verses he will point out, the waker, in the waking state, right now, uh, right now, uh, as we are, are we aware of our real nature as Turiyam? Yes. Are we? Yeah. We should be. <laughs> Unless you are enlightened. If, if you are aware, then that you are enlightened. You, you are... You are you're not aware. We are, uh, we, 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 if you knew it, then there would be no need of Vedanta. You wouldn't come back for the next class. Uh, but we are not aware. As long as we think we are the waker, then we do not know ourselves as Turiyam. If I knew myself as Turiyam, I wouldn't even 
I would be the waker, but I would really identify myself as Turiyam. I am Brahman, right? So the Turiyam is not uh, aware of its real nature as, uh, the waker is not aware of its real nature as Turiyam. It's because, see, how do you remove the, the error of the snake? That the, it's a snake, how do you remove that error? How do you remove that error? Ig- knowledge, but knowledge of what? The rope. So the knowledge of the ground, let me put it this way, the knowledge of the ground of error is required. The error is the snake, the ground of that error in Sanskrit, Adhishthana. The ground of that error is the rope. The knowledge of that is required. For example, a dream. It's an error. It really didn't happen. But how do you come out of that error? It's only a, only when you wake up, come back to the waking world, you, you come back to the knowledge of the waking world, I was in my bed and sleeping. When you, when you wake up and see that, then the error of the dream is cancelled. Similarly, in the waking state right now, in our, as we are right now, we do not know that we are Turiyam. So we have ignorance about our real nature. The waker does not know that, that, we, we are, that, that it is Turiyam. And as a result, is there error? Yes. yes, there is error. The waker has both ignorance and error. Agyana and Adhyasa. Both. Um, what, what is the nature of the error? I am this body. I am this individual person. This is the world I inhabit. Here are, here, this is my life. My biodata and my CV and all of that is what I've done. So this is my life. This is all error according to Advaita. Dreamer. The dreamer is not aware that it is Turiya. So it has got ignorance. And does it have error? Certainly. It feels I am in a forest being chased by tigers or, or something. Some anxiety, some terror. I am going to miss my flight. And that's a more modern <laughs> terror than being chased by a tiger. So error. That's kind of error. I know I, I hear a common um, anxiety dream, especially in India, is you are sitting for your eg- examinations and you can't remember the answer to the question. The <laughs> yeah, you freeze. You can't write. So that's a, a common terror. So that's the dreamer. And the, does the dreamer have, have uh, error? Yes. Ignorance and error. The deep sleeper... Does it have uh, error? Does it think that I am this or I am that? Nothing. It does not think of anything particularly. So no error is there in deep sleep. No problem. No error. But there is ignorance. Because the deep sleeper does not know anything else. Does not know itself. Does not know the ultimate truth that it is Turiyam. Does not know anything. Just blank. So the deep sleeper definitely has ignorance. But no error, no error as such. No expressed error. The possibility is there. When you wake up or you dream, those errors will come out. The Turiyam has neither. No ignorance, no error. Turiyam has neither means from the Turiyam point of view, there is no error and no ignorance. This is what is going to be said in the next four karikas. The next four verses. Only, here is the point, he will, uh, Gaurapada will introduce Four terms. Four terms. Same thing he will tell us in four different ways. He will call ignorance 
non-comprehension, agrahanam in Sanskrit, non-comprehension. Ignorance will be called one um, non-comprehension. Can we not call ignorance non-comprehension? Not knowing the truth? Yes. And error he will call miscomprehension or misperception. Mistake. Let's call it a mistake. Correct. Not knowing that I am Turiyam. That is uh, another way of, uh, another way of uh, describing ignorance. And thinking I am the body. That's another way of describing error. Another name he will use is cause for ignorance. Isn't ignorance the cause of error? Yes. Not knowing the rope is the cause of seeing a snake. So, and the error he will ca call it effect. In Sanskrit, karana, karya. So, ajnana is karana. And um, the Adhyasa or Brahma is Karyam. Error is effect. Cause and effect. Not any cause and effect. Cause and effect like seed and the sprout. So the, the seed is ignorance and the effect is this. And the third one in fact is seed and sprout. He calls ignorance seed. Bijam. And he calls error the sprout. Ankura. sprout and the fourth one is very interesting he calls these are different names given to the same thing he calls ignorance sleep so deep sleep something else he, this is the sleep of ignorance according to him even right now we are deeply in in sleep in the in what sleep sleep of ignorance so ignorance is called sleep nidra and error is called dream so, according to Gaudapada, dream means Swapna. So, according to Gaudapada, there are only two states. We talk about three states, waking, dreaming and deep sleep. Gaudapada says there are only two states. States. We always are in either one of them. Either we are asleep or we are dreaming. What about awaking? Awakening is only reserved for the enlightened person. That's why awakening has been compared to enlightenment. Uh, the famous statement, Vivekananda, arise, awake and uh, and stop not till the goal is reached. It comes from uh, the Upanishadic statement, Uttishthata Jagrata Prapya Varan Nibodhata. The original statement means, arise from the sleep of ignorance. Jagrata, awaken into the light of knowledge. Prapya Varan, get hold of the enlightened ones. Nibodhata, and get uh, enlightened. Get, en get enlightenment from the enlightened ones. So this is the original meaning. Vivekananda adapter, ad, adapted it to arise awake and uh, stop not till the goal is reached. Which is also has its own power. So four terms. Ignorance and error. Ignorance is called non-comprehension. Error is called mistake. In Sanskrit, uh, agrahanam anyathagrahanam. Agrahanam Anyathagrahanam. The words literally mean, agrahanam means non-grasping. You're not grasping the truth. And anyathagrahanam means grasping wrongly. That's a, that's a mistake. Then 
the next name he uses is next pair of names cause and effect in sanskrit karana karyam the ignorance is the cause and error is the effect then the third name he uses is seed and seed and sprout in sanskrit bija ankura bija ankura ignorance is the seed and all our mistakes that we make in life are the sprouts which come from that seed then the last one he uses is sleep and dream nidra swapna um we are always sleeping whether you are awake dreaming sleeping whatever it is we are sleeping we are according to him we are always in sleep until we realize um that we are turiyam until we become enlightened we are always asleep and worse not only asleep at least asleep is no problem in sleeping we dream we dream these awful dreams of samsara so swapna sometimes we dream also when do we dream the waker dreams and the dreamer dreams deep sleeper only sleeps and the waker is the waker asleep according to godapada yes asleep in what sleep sleep of ignorance yeah that's why the name buddha buddha means awakened one awakened from what ignorance, uh, ignorance yes that nice story houston smith quotes that story at the beginning of his chapter on buddhism is after attaining enlightenment when he's going to give his first teaching in sarnath little shepherd boy sees him and is so amazed by the look on his face and says not who are you Houston Smith writes there dramatically many people in the world have been asked who are you but very few people have been asked what are you so um, he's asked the little boy asks what are you are you a god he says no are you an angel he says no are you a human being he says no then what are you i am buddha the awakened meaning thereby this thing that the rest of us are sleeping and dreaming all right this is simply what he will say in the next four uh, verses let's read those verse number karika number 11 कार्यकारणबद्धस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस्तुस
is conditioned only by cause. What is cause? Ignorance. No effect. Because there is no dream there. There is no, no world, no error. No, no error is there. Because it's sleeping. So, uh, I should name it 1, 2, 3, 4 also. The first aspect, the second aspect, third aspect, and the so-called fourth aspect. And it says, Pragya karana baddhasto dvautauturiyena siddhyata. Neither of the two, cause and effect, ignorance and error, are not proved or not established for Turiyam. Are not found in Turiyam. The fourth, um, the fourth aspect of the self, the real self, has neither ignorance nor uh, error. That's all it, it says here. Then number 12. Natmanam na parangshaiva Natmanam na parangshaiva Na satyam na pichanritam Na satyam na pinanritam Pragya kinchana samvetti Pragya kinchana samvetti Turiyam tat sarvadriksada Turiyam tat sarvadriksada now makes a special point to distinguish the deep sleeper from the Turiyam. Pragya from Turiya makes a distinction. The Pragya, deep sleeper, does not comprehend anything. Does not know itself, I am sleeping. No. Does not know anything else also, because it's in deep sleep. So does not comprehend itself or others. It sees neither the truth nor falsehood. It does not, it's not enlightened. It does not see anything wrong also. I mean, the, the false world also is not experienced by Pragya. But the Turiya is forever everything and the witness. The Turiya, in contradiction to, to the, or distinction from the deep sleeper, is everything. Sarva. All of this, the waker and the waker's world, the dreamer and the dream world, deep sleeper and the deep sleep blankness, all of them are basically kalpana, imaginations, or appearances in Turiyam. In that sense, you can say the water is all the waves, the gold is all the ornaments. In the same way, the Turiyam is all of this. Waker and waker's world, dreamer and dream world, and deep sleep, the blankness of deep sleep. All of this is Turiyam. And Sarvadrik, it is always consciousness. So all awareness is Turiyam. The awareness of the waker is Turiyam, the awareness of dreamer is Turiyam, and the awareness which is nothing in deep sleep, that's also Turiyam. So this is the distinction between Turiyam and deep sleeper. Remember, distinction means not that they are separate. And the Turiyam itself is the deep sleeper. Turiyam itself is the dreamer. Turiyam itself is the waker. Then 13. Here he will give some names. Dvaitasyagrahanam tulyam. Dvaitasya grahanam tulyam Ubhayo pragya turyayo Ubhayo pragya sturyayo Bija nidrayutaf pragya Bija nidrayutaf pragya Sacha turyena vidyate Sacha turyena vidyate Non-perception of duality is common to both Pragya and Turiya. Now, now he is using these words. Non-comprehension and miscomprehension. 
agrahanam anyatha agrahanam non comprehension remember all all of this is what four names so non comprehension and miscomprehension for what for these two terms ignorance and error so non comprehension he says it is common to both deep sleeper and thuria uh, the um, yes so the 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 non comprehension the non appearance of duality the deep sleeper does not experience the world of duality so for the for the deep sleeper there is no waking world no troubles no problems i often give the example of the sickest man the poorest man who were maybe dying in uh, in um, uh, mount sinai or somewhere in deep sleep that person has no problems in deep sleep that person has no problems because the problems are not experienced that identity i am this person i have so much sickness and i am that's not experienced at all so no perception of duality is there by the pragya to experience non duality you don't have to go to thuriam in deep sleep all the time you experience a kind of non duality but it's enveloped by darkness so dvaitasya grahanam tulyam this non perception of duality is common to both in uh, deep sleep the non perception is because of sleep don't see anything so no duality in thuriam the non perception is due to knowledge yes the thuriam might see duality right now the thuriam is seeing duality waker and waking but that duality is not real because i alone the thuriam am the subject and the object the entire universe is unified in me i alone appear as the knower and the known so from thuriam point of view no duality because of knowledge from pragya point of view no duality because it does not see duality then what else बीज निद्रायुत प्राज्ञा साज तुरिये नविद्यते whereas the pragya the deep sleeper has the seed here but which turiya does not have the seed the deep sleeper of course is asleep and turiya is not asleep and the seed and the sleeping they are common to the others also the waker has the seed bija and the waker also has the sprout what is the sprout the world yeah the deep sleeper the, the dreamer also has the seed but also the sprout what is the sprout the dream the dream yeah the dream world basically and the dream body and mind and the dream experience that's a sprout it comes out of the seed of ignorance um then what else nidra sleep what sleep is mentioned here the sleep of ignorance the sleep of ignorance is common to the waker to the dreamer and the deep sleeper but the sleep of ignorance is not there for the thuriam for the person who has realized himself or herself as thuriam no matter whether the person is now in the waking state or in the dream state or the deep sleep state whenever the person's mind functions the person will know that i am thuriam so suppose the mind doesn't function does not need to know that i am thuriam okay Yes. So, Thuriam is basically beyond all dualities. Thuriam is always beyond dualities, and but the dualities are not beyond Thuriam. Waker and waker's world, all the objects, all things which are experienced, they are all experienced in consciousness. 
they are all arisings and disappearings in consciousness. The sky transcends the clouds. The clouds do not transcend the sky. The clouds need that sky to exist and to float around. The sky doesn't need the clouds because how do you know? Sometimes the sky is free of clouds. The sky still exists. You are that one consciousness. There's a beautiful term used in Sanskrit. Um, Chidakasha. You are the sky of consciousness. What a beautiful term. Chidakasha. The sky of consciousness. You are that sky of consciousness in which how many times the mind has awoken and gone about its business and dreamt and gone back to sleep. It has, it has appeared and disappeared how many times in you, the sky of consciousness. I was not meaning to speak of this now, it comes later, much later. There is a definition of falsity. It's a technical definition given by later Vedantists. It goes like this. Swatyanta bhava, bhasamanatvam mithyatvam. What does it mean? Falsity is appearing, is something appearing in the locus of its non-existence. Falsity is the appearance of something in the locus of its non-existence. Take the, it sounds very technical, but actually it's very simple. Take the classic example of snake and rope. Okay? The rope is mistaken as a snake. The snake which never existed in the rope. Now when you see the snake, where do you see it? Where the rope is. You don't see the rope. You don't understand that you see the rope, but you don't understand it's a rope. You're mistaking this rope for a snake. Right? With me so far? Now the, can I say that the snake is appearing where it does not exist? What exists? Rope. Snake does not exist, but appears. So locus means the place, location. There's a snake appears in the location of its own absence. The snake appears in location of its own absence. That's the very definition of falsity. Where something is not, there it appears. Then it's false. The water in the desert, in the mirage. No water there. It's dry desert. But it appears there. Therefore we say the water is false. Blue sky. The blueness in the sky. It appears clearly. But it's not blue there. It's not blue there. You don't have to wash a hose down a plane. If it flies to the blue sky, it becomes blue because it flows through a blue sky. No, there's no blue color there. It just looks like that. Yes, jet blue or so. <laughs> no, that's not why southwest planes are blue. <laughs> because they fly a lot through blue skies. No. It's, it looks like that, but it's not blue. Now, the blue color appears where there is no blue color. Hence, we say the, it's an appearance. It's not true that the sky is blue. In the same way, in the same way, um, this entire universe, this entire universe appears in you, the consciousness, in the sky of consciousness, Chidakasha. The entire universe appears. Let's put it this way. The mind which wakes, dreams and disappears in deep sleep. How many times it has appeared and disappeared in you, the sky of consciousness? It fulfills, follow this, it fulfills the definition of falsity. 
appearing in the locus of its own absence. How do you know the mind is absent in you? Because there are times when the mind has disappeared. In deep sleep, in unconsciousness, in what we call unconsciousness actually, the mind disappearing. You are that in which the mind has appeared and gone and disappeared. And that's a, so, that's a crucial fact. If it appears and disappears in you, then you are the locus of the disappearance of the mind. If you are the locus of the disappearance of the mind, then the mind is a false appearance in you. It is mithya. It's a tremendous insight. And okay, don't don't go there. It's a, it's a tremendous insight. It's a tremendous insight because it gives you the key to being free of the mind. When are you free of the mind? Oh, in deep sleep? No. When you are awake. When you are dreaming, when you are happy, when the mind is happy, when the mind is unhappy, when the mind is thinking, when the mind is busy, when the mind is bored, when the mind is excited. In all these times, you are completely free of the mind. Just as the sky, when it is so bright and blue outside, is completely free of the blue color. Because it is the absence, it is the locus of the absence of the blue color. You are, you the the sky of consciousness, you are the locus of the absence of the mind. The mind is not a real thing in you. You are the awareness in which the mind appears, plays its games and disappears, leaving you completely unaffected. Even when it is there and playing its games, it's not really there. This is called Swatyanta Bhava Bhasamanatvam Mithyatvam. Appearing where it is absent, Bhasamana means appearing. Atyantabhav means complete absence. It never was, it appears there. That's the sign of falsity. The mind is a false appearance. Uh, there was this person who went, now you can understand this. There's a person who went to a monk, and obviously a non-dualist. So this person goes and says, how do I deal with impure thoughts in my mind? How do I deal with the depression in my mind? Dukkha, Ashuddha Chinta, impure thoughts and, and sorrow and desire, how do I deal with this? Now the typical yogic way of dealing, the different ways of dealing, the yogic way of dealing is to raise contrary thoughts, raise the thought of purity, to deal with impurity, raise the thought of peace, to deal with anger. There is a beautiful saying in the Dhammapada of Buddha, how do you deal with anger? In the original Pali, I, I could sometimes we used to chant it there in the uh, training center in Belurmat for the monks. It it goes like this: Akkodhena jine kodham. This is not Sanskrit. This is Pali. Krodha in Sanskrit, uh, in Pali becomes kodham. By non-anger, win over anger. It sounds cliched, but it's a very powerful insight. Raise a powerful thought of peace and calmness, anger will go away. You see, yeah, so, ah, that shows us, this shows a secret about the mind. What is the secret about the mind? It can hold on to only one thought at a time. So you have the, you don't have the freedom of choosing what thought comes into your mind, but you have the freedom of entertaining or not entertaining and replacing that thought with something else. That's how meditation works. That's, that's what's called in Buddhism, upaya or skillful means. Replace 
an unskillful thought, a negative thought, a harmful thought, which you know to be bad, replace it with a positive thought. A thought of anger replace with a thought of calmness. Thought of greed with a thought of discipline. With a thought of um, hatred with a thought of love and so on. Thought impure thought with a pure thought and so on. That's one way. And this secret it comes, Buddha learnt it from his yoga teachers. Pratipaksha Bhavana in Patanjali Yoga Sutra it's there. Raise another thought. Use that secret of the mind. It can hold on to only one thing at a time. You can use it. Quite apart from all this non-dualism and mandukya and all of that. It's a simple trick of the mind. Immerse the mind in, a, in some other kind of thought. You will see the troubling thought goes away. Yes. Yes. Then it's already holding on to the angry thought. Right? Yes. So then where from are you getting the second thought? You'll have to raise it. Remember, a holding, holding on to that thought is um, uh, not that it's permanently holding on. After some time it will hold on to something else also. But your problem is you don't like that thought. It's causing you suffering. So there you have the opportunity. Because I am suffering, because I am unhappy, so I have the need to replace this thought. I'm struggling with it. So it says instead of struggling with that thought, forget that thought, raise a different thought. So when you say raise, hmm. where, who is raising it or rather from where is it coming? Is it the mind again? The mind again. You, the, the, the possessor of the mind, you're, you're the one who, who the mind is a body, is, a, is, a, is an instrument. It's very simple. Uh, I'm, I feel uh, angry now. So the, the technique is to raise a thought of peace. Fine then I'll do whatever is necessary to raise a thought of peace. I'm, maybe I'm shaking with anger instead of going over that thought, that guy made me so angry or this issue makes me so angry. Instead of keeping my mind on that issue or that guy, let me change it. Let me listen to soothing music. Let me think of somebody who is beloved. Let me breathe deeply. Let me sit quietly. All of these are techniques of raising it's contrary thought. Yeah. Just, I mean, the way we, we change our thoughts. No, no, don't go there. I'm not come to, come to the falsity yet. That, 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 that's because, remember, I'm not, come to, I'm not in Mandukya frame of reference right now. From Mandukya, what you're saying is right. That's the ultimate solution we're going to come to. This is one solution. This is the Buddhist solution or the yogic solution. And it's a powerful solution. Don't worry about it. I mean, you can always use this. All of these solutions are available to us all the time. Even if you are studying Mandukya, you don't have to be restrained by this. You can use different techniques. This is one technique. Another option, the bhakti option. The another secret of the mind is when the mind is totally given to something, it cannot go elsewhere. So if you are giving your mind to God, if there is love of God in the mind, it is difficult for that mind to entertain hatred, uh, entertain depression. We are reading in the Franciscan order, um, it's one of the rules is that you cannot show a glum face to the world. Yeah, it's a, it's a practice. So you have to have a grin on your face when you face the world. Otherwise, you, you are not allowed to show your face to the world. Saint Teresa of Lisieux, she said, uh, a sad nun is a bad nun. <laughs> and I, I, without thinking, I was giving a talk in Santa Barbara and I said it. And there are all nuns there. And one of the nuns objected and said, yeah, it applies to monks too. <laughs> it's not just a sad nun, it's a bad nun. <laughs> it just uh, <laughs> rhymes well. But, but yeah, it's, of course, it's true for everybody. Monks, nuns, and those who are not monks and nuns. 
Vivekananda um, was always so happy that somebody asked him in this country, that you're a teacher of religion, you should be serious. And he said, Madam, I'm serious only, only when I have a tummy ache, <laughs> a stomach ache. Otherwise, I'm not serious. Uh, so, Sri Ramakrishna, his room, if you read the gospel, so many times, all laugh. You see little wooden bracket. People are laughing. There's a story of this young boy who is laughing so much he rolls on the ground holding his stomach because it's hurting. Yes. Yes. So, sometimes, apart from deep sleep and being unconscious, hmm. sometimes when the mind is very still, I mean, there's no thought. Hmm. And this sometimes happens unintentionally or when one is in the company of a holy person. Hmm. So, there's no thought. Hmm. So, that's also mind disappearing, isn't it? That's mind subsiding, yes. That's like in deep concentration, there might be one thought or the mind might stop altogether. If you deep attention, for example, complete absorption in something. That's basically, if you do that in a spiritual sense, in meditation, become samadhi. Otherwise, it may so happen in the presence of a holy person, in the presence of sublime nature, for example. It may happen in, for some time. So, in bhakti, when you light the lamp of love of God in the heart, it's very difficult to entertain nasty thoughts and negative thoughts. So, deep devotion... Love of, love of God. That can help you overcome. Remember the question. How do I overcome depression and impure thoughts in my mind? That was the question. Now come to Advaita. Come to Mandukya. The answer given by that Swami was very interesting. He said, Thoughts exist in the mind, right? Yes. And the mind doesn't exist in you. The mind which it itself, the, the ground of those thoughts itself is false. Why worry about it? Is the sky worried about the colors which appear in the sky? No, not this shade of blue. I like that shade of blue. No. Sky is not worried because all colors and the absence of colors at night, darkness of night, none of them are in the sky. They just look like that. Similarly, none of the thoughts are real because they, do, they all exist in the mind which itself is not real. Yeah. So what a, what a powerful, uh, very powerful insight. Just sit like that, you see, every thought will immediately take wing and, and disappear. Yes. Uh, how, would, I mean, how would this uh, message respond to people who say mind is a product of evolution? Right? And then you say that it's not real? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> take, the dream, take the dream example. Take the dream example. You are taking everything as real. The world is out there and life has evolved and out of evolution of life, nervous systems and brains have evolved. From the brain, mind has evolved. By the way, no scientist yet knows how the mind works, how the relationship between brain and mind. Nobody. They are just guessing. Even the most advanced work going on here is they have no idea at all of the connection between mind, let alone consciousness, between mind and brain. They can demonstrate the brain evolved through evolution. You can have the fossil record, it can show. Did the mind evolve through evolution? Seems like that. You can't say how. What is the link between mind and brain? Nobody knows. Nobody. But anyway, Mandukya would say, look at the dream example. Suppose you talk about world and, and life evolving and bodies and brains evolving and evolution and suddenly you snap out of it and you sit up in, in your bed. 
The whole thing was a dream. Where is your life, world, evolution? It could be a dream. Could be in principle. From the point of view of consciousness, Turiyam, where is the mind? Where is the mind? There is the waker and the waker's world in which there is a waker's body and the waker's mind. All of them appear in the Turiyam. You are the Turiyam. They appear, what I said, in the locus of their own absence. So they are false. Let alone evolution. The very mind which understands evolution, Turiyam demands. See, what we are talking about is very, is very high philosophy indeed. It is, it is the culmination of Advaita Vedanta. They say, Vedanta Advaita ki um, Shiromani. That means the, the crest jewel of Advaita. The, the highest text of Advaita. Advaita is the final conclusion of thousands of years of Hindu philosophy. Unmatched anywhere. That itself is higher than all the science and technology of the world. So here we are coming to something far beyond religion, philosophy, science. Don't even bring those things in. They will be laughed out. That you take up at a more, what might be called at a more prosaic level. What, from this point of view, you are, you are at the university level. Take it up at the kindergarten level. No, I'm not uh, exaggerating. If you actually begin to see the, the standpoint of this, it's like standing on top of the Everest. <coughs> I mean, if you, look, if you actually begin to understand the standpoint, what <laughs> evolution? Evolution of what? Suppose you have complete theory of evolution and all of that is taught to you in the dream. What would be important in that whole situation? That it's a dream. Do you see where I'm coming from? It's like asking, do you remember the story of the, of the Emperor Janaka? Do you remember? This, this is true or that is true? So he had a dream of this, the empire being attacked by the enemies and uh, then he was defeated in battle and the enemy king. Do you remember the story? Um, and then the kingdom was taken over. Ultimately it all turned out to be a dream. Now suppose somebody tells the emperor, no, you're saying all of that, but what about history? History shows that you were attacked and uh, you, were, you lost your kingdom. The emperor would say, but it, that was in a dream. Would you take that history into account? What's important there, the history or the dream? The fact that it is a dream. That, that itself nullifies all of that history. I'm going to uh, follow up. Yes, do follow up carefully. Yeah. Tread carefully. I understand. Alright, listen carefully. Again, there is a danger in teaching the Mandukya Upanishad. The danger is 
if you do not understand it, it can create a lot of confusion. And that's still all right. It's better than being confused. If you begin to understand it, it can be terrible. <laughs> it, can, it can dismantle all the structures of worldly life, worldly ambition, of religious life, of scientific pursuit. Everything comes crashing down. I remember once a very senior Swami, it was before my time, came to visit Belur Mat. He was a disciple of the Holy Mother. He was asking in the training center, the, the monks who were being trained, he asked, what are the boys being taught now, the brahmacharis? And some Swami said, oh, now we are studying the Mandukya Upanishad, the Mandukya Karika. And he said, he was scared. He said, Mandukya Karika? No, 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 don't teach them that. They'll become atheists. Nasti kwejave. They'll become atheists. So that was the terror in which it was held. I used to think what makes me neither theist nor atheist makes no difference to me. <laughs> That's because I don't understand it. If you take it, if you understand it and take it seriously, it can be can have a terrible impact. So you have to be careful with it. You deal with this carefully. If you the if you understand it properly, it can be enormously liberating right now forever. All right. Having said that, now let me deal with this question. What you are asking now. It is true in a particular form of a form a frame of reference. What is that frame of reference you're talking about where you match evolution with um, religion and philosophy with Vedanta? Can we evolution work with Vedanta? Certainly it can. And it does. But at what level? Vedanta has been uh, Advaita can be taught and has been taught at three levels. One is called Srishti Drishti Vada. Creation experience, the, the approach of Advaita through the creation experience paradigm. It has been taught at level called Drishti Shrishti Vada, experience creation paradigm. And it has been taught what is called Ajati, no creation paradigm. Alright, so one paradigm is creation and then experience. Another paradigm is experience and creation. Another paradigm is no creation at all. Sanskrit words, srishti drishti, drishti srishti, ajati. Now, this question was asked to Ramana Maharshi. I am quoting Ramana Maharshi. Ramana Maharshi was asked this question. He said the same Advaita. It can be explained in three different ways. In three different paradigms approaches. The highest, most direct, but unfortunately most un unaccessible, uh, inaccessible kind of approach is the, this one. It is called Ajati, no creation. It dismisses with the world at one stroke. The reality of Brahman or Turiyam is so evident and so powerful in that the world is simply dismissed. Turiyam one existence consciousness bliss. That's it. And you are that. Finished. Then Ramana Maharshi puts it very beautifully. He says, but somebody says then, somebody raises a question, what about all this? There is isness, true. There is pure consciousness, true. I am the sky of consciousness. But what about the clouds? What about the blue color? What about all this? If you ask that, then Raman Maharshi says, the teacher descends one step to Drishti Srishti Vada, where he uses the paradigm of a dream. 
you dream and in your dream you are there the other people are there and events are happening but all of that what's the most important fact about it it's a dream it's all in your mind true are you with me yes exactly like that if you are asking what about all this what about all this world it's all appearances in thurium you the consciousness you see yourself in all these names and forms they are all like a magic show in the in um, this upanishad itself in the karika in the second chapter it will say yatha um, swapnamaye yatha gandharvanagaram just like a dream just like a magic show and just like castles in the air you know clouds sometimes appear like buildings similarly is this entire world appearing in thuria it's a dream the dream paradigm so you experience it in your experience it is seen what is primary your experience and you are remember one thing about the dream all the people in the dream all the events in the dream including your body and mind in the dream they exist as long as you dream if you come out of the dream do you wonder what's going on there no it's not there unless you dream it it's there only in your dream it has an appearance in you you are the movie in which all those things are happening you project the movie within yourself it has no existence apart from your mind similarly this entire universe of your experience has no existence from apart from your experience and the nature of that experience is pure consciousness which you are thuriam that's the second way of exp- explaining it bear with me at this point i know there'll be people with objection at this point raman marshi puts it so beautifully he takes the question out of your mind and puts it there at this point somebody will say wait a minute what about our wonderful he uses the word what about our wonder, all this knowledge we have of science of evolution of uh, physics and chemistry and mathematics and our engineering achievements the tremendous knowledge we have developed about this world how can it be a dream raman marshi says there's a person who asks this question to so that person is given the teacher comes down one step further and says you are right is the concession is made more and more to the appearance the more and more the appearance seems real the more the the theory has to accommodate that so this person for that person thurium pure consciousness is faded to the background this world is so real it demands an explanation you cannot dismiss it as a dream the detailed working if you say it's a dream it's in the detailed working of the evolution he will drag me to the metropolitan museum the natural sciences see if i say but all of this could be in your dream it doesn't hold much water for him in that case srishti drishtivada is brought forward advaita has another explanation what is that explanation see if it works for you brahman is existence consciousness bliss and brahman's power is maya with maya brahman projects the five elements space and air and fire and water and earth they combine in various ways we don't accept the five elements theory let us have the 100 and odd elements of the periodic table and the big bang and they combine with each other and then over time nebulae and stars come up and then galaxies form and star planets form on planets um, the higher compounds organic compounds they get together 
life evolves and life evolves into ever higher forms over millions of years evolving nervous systems and brains and in those evolved bodies consciousness can finally reflect itself as an operating mind and then consciousness begins the journey back to its own real nature the journey back to enlightenment through um, through religion, through morality, religion and so on and so forth, through yoga and then finally this evolved creature lands up at the Vedanta society and studies the Mandukya. <laughs> that is the story which incorporates all your physics and biology and evolution. It says okay to all of that. With the whole purpose of okay fine, when, once your demands are satisfied, please come back and pay attention here. Now why these three approaches? It says depending on the adhikari. For the person whom the teaching of existence consciousness bliss, pure being, pure is isness, pure consciousness is so clear and so overwhelming a reality. There's no need to explain the world. That is the approach of Mandukya. It's very dismissive of the world. For the next category, some explanation is required. I understand what is meant by pure consciousness. Yeah, it can all be an experience in awareness, like dream. Question stops there. For the third category, for whom the world is so real, and this is a theory which I am learning, then it has to be shown how all of this can, uh, you know, the whole universe has to be explained. If that is also not, not working, then one step further down, you go to Patanjali Yoga. Forget this knowledge and waker, dreamer, deep sleep, forget all that. You have to sit straight, steady, then breathe like this, then withdraw your senses, and then calm down the mind. In deeper and deeper states of calmness, it will become obvious to you in experience, that in your very experience, it will become obvious that you are not the mind. You are a consciousness to which appears mind, body and universe. If that is also too difficult, then alright. There are so many options. If that's too difficult, then you say, alright, you don't have to do that. Here is a magnificent temple. And in that temple dwells Krishna. You go down, go there, be devoted to Krishna. I will show you the songs of Krishna which you can sing. I will show you the dances you can dance. I will show you the 101 beautiful delicious items you can cook and present to Krishna. <laughs> and the mantras you can chant to Krishna. And slowly as the mind settles down on the, the, the beautiful whole mythology, the, the stories and the personality of Krishna, then uh, the mind can progress further in religious life. Is this a hierarchy? You're there's a hierarchy. Of course, there's a hierarchy only from uh, our point of view, the non-dualistic <laughs> point of view, where this is at the top. Yeah. No, I'm, sure, I'm sure the ISKCON will have serious objections to this hierarchy. But I had a follow-up yes. question to that. Yes. So, so uh, I'm coming to you. You see, you see what's going on here? So Ramana Maharshi gave these three. Ajati Vada, Drishti Srishti Vada, Srishti Drishti Vada. So, most of the teachings, when, when um, you find the Upanishads and the Gita and the commentaries of Shankaracharya, they are mostly at the third level, Srishti Drishti Vada, which is a common sense approach. The, the, com the Srishti Drishti Vada 
is based on the waking paradigm. You know what the waking paradigm is? The world exists. What do you feel when you wake up in the morning? The world is there. I was sleeping. Now I'm awake. I'm seeing a world which pre-existed. Pre-existing world. I didn't dream of this world. It was there. You feel that. You undeniably feel that. When you go out there and you go to your car there, you don't feel that car popped into existence the moment I saw it. No, it was there and now I come. So that's the waking paradigm. The first approach to Advaita is based on that. Srishti Dishti. That's most common to all of us because we take it as a starting point in all our religion and philosophy. There is a more advanced seeker who can dwell in the dream paradigm. Who can take the dream paradigm where the whole world is in my experience. Which is also true actually. Your world is in your experience. Where else is it? Think about it. All of this which you are experiencing. Isn't it that you are experiencing it? And is it anything apart from your experience? You say, of course it's apart from my experience. Do you have any proof of that? No. So the entire experienced universe it can be compared to a dream. For those people who can operate with the dream paradigm, who are comfortable with that, for them, Drishti Srishti Vada. The second one, Professor G.R. Malkani, who was uh, the head of the Institute of Advanced Studies in Philosophy in the 1950s, 60s, in India, uh, Alamnair is a place. He, he used to, he's a brilliant philosopher and a very staunch non-dualist. He used to say, this first kind of Advaita, where the world is taken as real and you know God created the world and then step by step you have to go back. Srishti Dishti Vada, he called it Advaita for the dull. <laughs> he said you should really begin with the second one, that uh, the dream paradigm. And the Gaudapada uses that to some extent, the dream paradigm. Because Gaudapada works very hard to diffuse the difference between waking and dreaming. Did you see what he just said? There are only two states, sleeping and dreaming. What about waking? That's also dreaming. <laughs> so he does that. And the third one is the most difficult. Ajati. Where simply the word is dismissed just like that. So, so some, you, uh, wait, oh, you had one more yes, follow-up? Yes, yes. And the hierarchy thing again. Now, yeah. If Robert Wright says that Buddhism is true, is Advaita more true? Oh, very interesting. Depending on the ad understanding of Advaita, because... Even when Robert Wright is speaking, he mentions Advaita. I see he has, a, he has a working understanding of Advaita, not the deeper and more subtle understanding of Advaita. Mm -hmm. If you have this subtle and deeper understanding of Advaita, you will see there is a clarity here which even the highest Buddhism lacks. The final form of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism with Madhyamaka and Vigyanavada as the philosophical core of it, it comes very close to Advaita. They will say it is a much more sophisticated approach than Advaita. Because they have the, the Advaita 101. But the level at which we are investigating it, we can see how certain issues which remain with Tibetan Buddhism can be clarified from this point of view. Robert Wright also, very interestingly, he mentions it. He said there is some problem ultimately with the no-self theory of Buddhism. And he investigates and he says in certain discussions, esoteric discussions on Buddhism, they say that no-self basically means not an objective self, a pure consciousness is a possibility. If that is so, I, I mark that place, aha! If that is so, Buddhism collapses into Advaita. And I wish Professor Miri Albahari had come here, uh, because she is the one who is proposing that. The topic, I mean she cancelled her trip because of some problem back home. 
the topic for our talk was on on first April, first April. Yeah, that was supposed to be last Sunday, first April, right? No wonder April Fool's Day. <laughs> so, her topic was the Advaita theory of self and the Buddhist theory of no self. How they are actually the same. Uh, she says the deeper investigation of Buddhism reveals this very very fact. It's just that Buddha left it unsaid. There are problems with saying it. What is the problem? From a Buddhist perspective, they will resist characterizing the self as, as we are saying, pure consciousness, pure being. No. All they will say is, not this, not this, that they agree to. No, not self. There's an advantage to that. Why? The moment you talk in this way, you know what is put into our minds? There is a thing called the Thurium. There is a fourth thing called the Thurium. The Thurium is not a thing. The moment you say not a thing, immediately the opposite problem comes. So there is nothing. It's a concept. It's a theory. No, it's much more important than anything or all things. All things depend on this Thurium. It itself is not a thing. It's like saying gold is not an ornament. But all ornaments depend upon gold. If I say gold is not an ornament, if you've given three ornaments, bangle, necklace, ring, and told that the reality is gold, you'll say, which one of them is gold? And you're told, none of them is, the, the ornaments are not gold. Then you will say, oh, gold is nothing then. Not nothing, it is the reality. It is more real than the ornaments. Turiyam, Atman, Brahman is more real than anything that you see. But you speak about it that way, it generates an idea, it's a thing. The opposite problem comes in Buddhism. When you hear about the no-self theories, you begin to think that there is nothing. Shunyam means nothing, though they deny it. They deny it again and again. Shunyam does not mean nothing. But they, will not, they refuse to state it in positive terms. Um, so I say, if you combine these two together, these two approaches together, the Advaita approach and the Tibetan Buddhist, the most sophisticated form of Buddhism is the Tibetan Buddhist approach. So if you combine these two, it's not a thing. It's not nothing. It's no thing. Yeah. Wait, there was a question there somewhere. I you, yeah. you, you mentioned about the hierarchy and in the Gospel Thakur it says that finally after everything that give me bhakti now. Mm-hmm. So how do you reconcile that? I won't reconcile it. Thakur is not teaching Mandukya Upanishad there. We are here, we are going to be strictly Mandukyo uh, Kakarika people and say um, one way is to put bhakti like way down there. The other way is uh, after enlightenment, Sri Ramakrishna says after the highest enlightenment, not give me bhakti, you stay with love, with bhakti. Then bhakti could be an expression of this enlightenment. For example, if you realize your oneness with the entire universe, what will be your attitude once you are back to this body and mind, this personality? Though you know it's false, it's an appearance. But this entire appearance is united in you, the Thurium. What will be your attitude towards everybody? Love. Hmm. A feeling of oneness. A oneness will be expressed in life as love. If you, if you make a difference between yourself and the Thurium in your conception, then immediately your attitude towards the Thurium will be love towards God. This Thurium is nothing other than the God of the devotee. So yes, 
You can, you can reconcile. You can reconcile all approaches. We will see that later, much later. Gaudapada uses a fantastic term, Asparsha Yoga, the untouched yoga. This is the untouched yoga. He says, Tairayam na viruddhira, parasparam viruddhyantete, tairayam na viruddhyata. All other philosophies, all other religions are constantly in conflict with each other. They are not in conflict with what we teach, nor are we in conflict with whatever, whatever they teach. This philosophy can function, indeed does function as the foundation of everything else. With this philosophy you can have all religions, all philosophies, science, materialism, all of that. It gives a foundation for that. It has a place for everything and a very rational place from this point of view. But if you take a dualistic bhakti point of view, this is totally unacceptable. This is horrifying. What is the dualistic bhakti point of view? The ultimate truth is God exists in heaven and all is well with the world. World is real, I am real, God is real. One day I hope to reach God and stay with God. This is, is the rankest atheism. It wipes out God, it wipes out the world, it wipes out my individual reality also. For some absolute reality. So this is totally unacceptable to a dualist. But from a non-dualist point of view, all dualisms are acceptable. Okay. Yes. They are taught in the Srishti Drishti? They are all Srishti Drishti Vadi. Ah, yeah. Even Panchadashi? Panchadashi has different approaches, but most of the approaches would start with Srishti Drishti Vadi. In fact, all Advaita texts, almost all of them, they all are based at Srishti Drishti level. Why? Because otherwise, a Drishti Srishti approach or even Ajati approach is too much of a jerk for most of us. It's after all, the point of the teaching is to make us understand. If you start with, there is one reality. It's not the waking consciousness, not the dream consciousness, not the deep sleep consciousness. It's not a thing, it's not a concept, not an idea. What? We'll say, what are you talking about? So, that, that step by step, it's much easier if you take a Srishti Dishti approach. It's little more difficult if you take a Drishti Srishti because people will say there is a difference between waking and dreaming. Why do you keep insisting on trying to reduce everything to a dream? If you say that, then Srishti Drishti is your approach. If you begin to understand the dream paradigm, it's much. The, then why have different paradigms? Why not all be start from here? Because the other paradigms are much more direct. Much faster, much more direct. You get it instantaneously. Wait, I'll come to you. Yes. Yes. That is the only thing. If you want to catch one positive thing, is that one sense of I which you have got. That will lead you to that ultimate reality. Everything else is neti neti. Yes. When you originally had the diagram and explained this uh, sleep and wake and all that, you did say that in the deep sleep stage, which is the causal stage, yeah. Uh, that along with Maya is Ishwara. Yes. Which is the concept of God. Yes. So this doesn't exclude that concept. Which one? The whole Mandakya Upanishad. Uh, yeah, but remember that's dismissed as false. Because deep, deep sleep, dreaming, waking are all dismissed as false appearances in one theorem. It goes, that's why I say, this goes beyond religion. It goes beyond philosophy. It goes beyond science. One extreme Advaitin, we don't say that, we are much more reasonable. 
one physicist was very annoyed with one great Advaita teacher. He told me that I approached this Swami and he was very hurt. He, he told the Swami about physics and the Swami said, from Advaita point of view, physics is superstition. <laughs> you see the reversal. Science dismisses religion as superstition. Scientist Richard Dawkins would dismiss religion as superstition. This Swami dismisses science as superstition. And you know, he is absolutely right. He is. Think about it. Suppose you come, on, come into a dramatic scientific discovery and then you wake up from it. Then what happens to your scientific discovery? Don't we often get, sometimes in dream, you get the feeling you have understood something. You have discovered something. You have read something of great importance. When you wake up, you don't remember anything of it. Yeah. But this might sound horrifying to somebody speaking in Manhattan, in New York, sitting in 21st century, right in the mid middle of Manhattan, saying something like, uh, science is superstition. But from, from, if you understand this point of view, it is. He equally says religion is superstition. He'll equally say religion, science, philosophy, all the superstition. Because they are all appearances in one consciousness. They have no individual ex existence apart from it. Where is your science when your mind disappears? Yes. Uh, one quick question, two questions actually. So, Ajatabad, right? Ajatabad who, who had a question? Uh, you had a, no. Did you ask her? Uh, she, yeah. yeah. So, Ajatabad, right? Ajata, Ajatabad. Ajatabad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, the East Lens. Okay, mm. kind of goes away to singularity, basically. This is it. Satchitalan. Mm. Mm. As no one becomes many, that goes away completely. Yes. Out of the way. Okay. So but but remember, the experience of the many will continue. continue right. The uh, realization of the one is not contradicted by experience of the many. One Swami explained it beautifully. Day and night are caused because of rotation of the earth. In time, is there day and night? You say, of course. But no, there isn't. There isn't. Day and night is because we are on this planet and the planet is rotating. and Therefore, we have experience of day and night. And we classify time accordingly. Remove the planet and its rotation. There is no day and night. Time is time. But that knowledge does not prevent you from experiencing day and night. It is day, it is afternoon now. Soon it will be evening and then it will be night. It doesn't prevent you from experience. That knowledge will not, will not, that experience will not contradict your knowledge that there is really no day and night in time. Similarly, though we go through the experience of manyness, waking and dreaming, all of this continues. None of it contradicts the enlightened person's realization of Thuriyam. Because of that realization, that person is above the sufferings of um, waking and dreaming can undergo this experience without any problem at all. Like Shukadeva, the saint, who became a camel. Yeah. Alright. Uh, this Sunday, I'll speak about the essence of all Vedanta. You should come, you'll enjoy it. It's like a revision for you. Uh, it's actually an overview of this Mandukya Upanishad, which we did just now. We are doing now. Just an overview of the Upanishad itself, not the whole Mandukya Karika. And why I have called it the essence of all Vedanta is um, because Shankaracharya, when he starts his commentary on the Mandukya Upanishad and Mandukya Karika, he uses the phrase Sarva Vedanta, Sarva Vedanta Artha Sara Sangraha Bhutam. The essence of all the teachings of the Vedanta is contained in these four chapters. 
It starts like that. So that's the title of the talk. So it, it'll be easy for you. It's just a like an overview, bird's eye view this Sunday. And those who have not attended the class, it'll go away with headaches. <laughs> the next Sunday, if you'll see the topic, the ultimate truth, that's based on something that's coming up much later for us. It's something taken from the second chapter of the Mandukya Karika. If you think all this is difficult and, uh, um, and disturbing, you should wait for that verse. <laughs> <laughs> That, that smashes all religion, philosophy, everything. It starts with there is no cessation of the universe, there is no birth of the universe, there is no bondage, no spiritual practice, there is nobody who is struggling for liberation, nobody who is liberated. This is the final truth. This is the translation of the verse. <laughs> no, no, this is Mandukya. It will come. So this comes from the Mandukya Upanishad, 2nd chapter, 32nd verse. So that will be the discussion on the, the ultimate truth there. Um, somebody, a quantum physicist, I think Heisenberg or somebody said, if you are not disturbed by quantum physics, you have not understood quantum physics. Was it Heisenberg or somebody? Who? who, who? Feynman said that? If you think you understand quantum physics, you have not understood it. Yes, but no, no, this language, if you are not disturbed by quantum physics, you have not understood it. So, Ankur Barua, who teaches Indian philosophy, is a professor who teaches Indian philosophy in Cambridge University. In his, one of his handouts, he says, if you, have not, if you are not disturbed by Advaita, you have not understood it. You should be profoundly disturbed by this. All right, last question. So, so in this concept then, um, sin and guilt, where do they fit? You tell me now. <laughs> See, don't make a blanket statement like they don't exist. Uh, so, sin and guilt. Are sin and guilt felt when you are de in deep sleep? Forget the thurium. Are, do you feel sin and guilt in deep sleep? Yeah. No. Do you feel that when you are dreaming? Maybe. Do you feel that when you are awake? Maybe. So, that which comes and goes in you you exist without sin and guilt. Even when you are awake, even the greatest of sinners, the most guilty of persons in awake, when you are awake, regretting it. How much time do I spend regretting it? A little bit of the time in a day. The most depressive thought. It is not continuous and unbroken. It is mixed up with many other thoughts. So it comes and goes. It arises and disappears. I exist pretty well without it. Before committing the sin, I was. When I was committing the sin, I, I was. Now I am regretting the sin, I am guilty about it, I am. And every day, night, I forget all about sin and guilt. Then what am I? If the sin or the guilt is real, in the sense that I am real, then I should always be sin, sinner or guilt, guilty. If it comes and goes in me, then apply that thing. The locus in which something appears and disappears, then in that locus, that thing is, is an appearance. It's not real. It's not real as real as the locus itself. Doesn't mean that you will not experience it or not suffer from it. Yeah. But if you realize yourself as Turiyam, you're free of that. But remember, in that case, you'll be free of the, the temptation to commit sins also. I am free of sins, so I can do anything I want. Then who is that I? It's the sinner I. If you do anything you want and commit sins, you will suffer for that. Right. But the reality of even the sinner 
is that the sinner is that it's turiyam and it's free of all sin. Good, good, bad, bad, and none escape the law. Vivekananda. Good, good, bad, bad, and none escape the law. But whosoever wears a form wears the chain too. What is chain? The good and bad karma that we have done. The guilt and the sin, the sin and the guilt. This is a chain. But then what does Mandukya say? Vivekananda says, but far beyond name and form is Atman, we will say Turiyam, ever free. Know thou art that, Sanyasi bold. Say Om Tatsat Om. That Om Tatsat Om will come in the next uh, part of the Upanishad. Mantras 8 to 12. Okay, very good. We had a productive session. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu